Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech Asia Pacific series. As in Voice of Fintech podcast so far, here you will hear inspirational stories of entrepreneurs, corporate innovators, investors, ecosystem hub leaders from or close to the world of fintech. Asia Pacific series will be hosted by amazing hosts based in the region, speaking to the leaders from Asia Pacific. Here is another one hosted by Chia. Welcome to the Voice of Fintech podcast. My name is Chia, co-founder of Fintech Angel Operators, a fintech angel syndicate of operators, founders from all across the region, investing and supporting the fintech ecosystem across Southeast Asia and globally. Today, I am very happy to have Jacob, co-founder of IOConnect, one of the most interesting payment infrastructure companies based in Southeast Asia, with us today. Jacob, it is amazing to have you. Thank you so much. You have had a super long career as a fintech executive and now founder for the past seven years building IOConnect and raising a very successful Series B from top tier folks like Tiger Global, SIG, etc. Love to understand a little bit more about yourself and what makes you passionate about what you're doing. Hi, excited to be here. About myself, I'm, I grew up in Germany. I started my career with BCG over there, covering financial institutions across Europe. I moved to Indonesia 10 years ago. So I've seen the whole Southeast Asian landscape shaping up really well. I started in Lazada as the managing director for Indonesia. It was the biggest e-commerce uh, group in the region at the time, then took on a regional role, got to see the other countries in the region uh, on the ground, and then basically stayed until we sold the business to Alibaba. And that's when I met my Indonesian co-founder and we started IU Connect together. Yeah, exciting. We're still very much in the making, but happy to share a bit more about what we're doing here. Amazing. So maybe let's start from the beginning. IU Connect is a company that's been really one of the OGs in the fintech scene in Southeast Asia. So can you give us a little bit of history, how you guys got started, initial developments of the company and where you guys are, are now and how you guys are positioned? Yeah. So are you connect? We're in the product sense in open finance, fintech. We basically do B2B. We look at ourselves as an infrastructure builder. We are probably the largest API platform in Southeast Asia today. If you look at the origins of the business, we started very differently as uh, with so many companies, there was a journey that we certainly went through. When we started, it was 2015, 16. So just to put this into perspective, there wasn't even any e-wallets in Indonesia yet. There was no OFO, GoPay and likes of this. There wasn't a QR code, wasn't a thing yet and so on. From a fintech perspective, certainly from a local ecosystem side of things, it was very early days. Um, now, we started originally as a consumer platform. So we realized that in fintech, the biggest financial use case in emerging markets like Indonesia, before you go into savings and lending and all of this, is actually utilities and bill payments. It's something that every consumer has to do five to 15 times a month. Think about water, electricity, gas, tax payments, loan repayments, all those recurring payments. They are done 
in most emerging markets very differently than in the West. It's not a big pain point in developed markets, but here consumers tend to typically have to do it themselves manually and they have to go to convenience stores, offline agents, bank branches, ATMs, and so on to do it. We actually were the first ones in Indonesia who thought this can be a use case that we can bring to mobile. And that was in, in the days when mobile penetration was around 25-30%. So we were actually the first ones in Indonesia that brought all of those use cases into a mobile experience and and basically by accident ended up in, in the whole payments landscape. And then we very quickly realized two things. Number one was we cannot cover all of Indonesia ourselves. Just one consumer platform is not never probably going to be successful enough to do it. Indonesia is just a very diverse nation with 17,000 islands, 400 different ethnicities, different languages, and so on. So that was the first one. Second one was that we realized the infrastructure of what we wanted to build was not there. We were focusing on the consumer side, but we actually realized the pipes and the connections below the surface, meaning going to utility companies and connecting them and so on. It was extremely fragmented. It was very scattered. So there wasn't really one player, unlike in other markets like India, for instance, that kind of like puts all of this into one API. And that's basically where we focused our efforts. Uh, a third realization we had, which then led basically to what IU Connect became in the early days, was that we got a lot of interest for what we were building from other consumer-facing platforms. So we got approached by e-commerce platforms, then later the up-and-coming e-wallets, but even offline businesses, traditional companies that wanted to have that use case in their ecosystem for their users, but they didn't want to build the entire infrastructure and tech behind it. And that's basically where we got approached for them to use our API. So we quickly realized that we like to build things. We like to like the infrastructure side of things, the value chain. And that's basically how the company was shaped very early on. And then we just evolved from there. So today, IO Connect has banking APIs. We have data APIs. We continue building payment APIs. So anything fintech, you come to us. That's basically the value proposition for our clients. Got it. Okay. That's super interesting. Love to dive deeper into that as far as, as far as anything that you are able to share. So it sounds, hey, a whole, starting with bill payments is a whole bunch of banking APIs, open banking suite of tools that you can tap into. So you're really riding like the embedded fintech wave or just the general fintech wave of the ecosystem. And so that's helpful there. Can you talk a little bit about how much volume has really gone through this at the moment? Which product suites are you most excited today? And where you're going to go moving forward like what's exciting for you on the roadmap yeah good question in, in in terms of volume for us we just look at growth that's our main driver and on average we're tripling the business on a year-to-year -year basis so that's a lot of momentum there but admittedly we're also in the infrastructure space. things take a bit time to build basically how we go about it is that we continue to plant seeds into the ground and we then basically have the time to see them through and see them develop so to give you an example today, we have a payment stack around, for instance, direct debit, recurring payments, fast disbursements, e-wallet disbursements, obviously the whole utility side of things that I mentioned earlier. In the meantime, we are uh, launching solutions that are basically going live in Q1 and Q2 of, as of next year. And those are solutions like deposits, virtual cards, card issuance, and so on that we've been working on for quite some time in the past. And then going forward, there are the other products like income verification, identity verification, uh, where we are trying to unlock proprietary data sources that no one has really has cracked in the market yet. Those things take time, but that's basically how we look at it like a product family, where we have some 
of our solutions like that are a bit more mature, potentially already positive from a contribution perspective. And then we have a couple of solutions that we continue to invest and double down that then drive the revenues of tomorrow. Got it. Okay. No, thanks. That's super interesting and, and amazing traction on that side. But yeah, lo love to see. I think IOConnect also has made tremendous headways on the regulatory side of things. So can you talk to me a little bit about how IOConnect is positioning itself on the regulatory side of things and like how that like product roadmap rolls into that? Yeah, a, a great questions. Obviously, when it comes to fintech, regulatory landscape is something extremely important for us, something that we monitor very closely. We see ourselves as a piece of the overall ecosystem puzzle. And there's obviously the regulatory bodies themselves. And then you have fintech companies like us that act as builders. Then you have consumer-facing platforms. You have the consumers themselves. All of this needs to work, play together where the rules need to be defined. Now, when it comes to open finance, different countries take very different approaches. And uh, obviously in Southeast Asia, every country is a bit different. I think on a planet basis, they're somewhere all in the same stage. Now, let me maybe answer the question by zooming out a bit and looking at the global landscape first. I do think there's two extremes to regulating open finance. US is one side of things where it's a very private market, private sector. So I think it's very hands-off from a regulatory perspective, and it's really up for the private ecosystem, financial institutions, banks to put their own rules in place. And then on the other hand, you have Europe which is basically with the likes of PSD2, extremely regulated in a sense that there are is there is a framework and a, a rules in place of what banks have to do in terms of opening up when it comes to payments, when it comes to data, basically trying to drive interoperability between different players in the ecosystem, creating a level playing field for new entrants and fintech to work together with even larger banks and so on. So that's certainly the other side of things. I think when it comes to Southeast Asia, it's somewhere in between. In Indonesia, we do see that regulatory bodies are actually putting rules in place, but they are just from coming more from a downside protection side of things. So in Indonesia, we have the payment blueprint 25, which has given a lot of insights to all ecosystem players on how to go about payments, how to go about data protection, consumer data and so on. And then you have more defined like initiatives, like for Snap from Bank Indonesia, which basically puts rules in place around how APIs are supposed to be played, what the security layers are around it. Again, consumer protection of data and so on. It's like from a rule book perspective, but then what you want, can do or can't do in terms of like being a financial institution, how much you want to open up, how much you want to partner with, that's the left up to you as, a, as an institution. So you can basically decide who you want to partner with on the fintech side, on the consumer-facing side, how much data you want to open up, how much of your additional revenue streams are coming from open banking and open finance and so on. And then players like Connect, we are like the facilitators in between, right? So we're basically working very closely with the regulatory side and we're basically also educating the ecosystem on the things to come. And then we're putting the layers and the technology in place that then very fast for all the ecosystem players to work to, to, to with each other and basically speak a common language and be able to partner and interact with each other. Got it. Okay. And one one thing that, at least as someone who is in the fintech scene in Southeast Asia that always came up was you are essentially building a little bit like plan, a little bit of maqueta for Southeast Asia, 
And a lot of the value proposition for our plat model is really on the aggregation side. And there's 10,000 banks in, in the US, as an example. I forgot the exact number. I think it's 15,000. And so models like that, where you're able to really aggregate, build a whole bunch of kind of APIs on top of that is, is super helpful. Whereas if you look at, I think, Southeast Asia, the amount of fintechs and the amount of banking market shares is way more concentrated. And it's a bit of a slightly trickier situation. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, how has that played in the way that you have built your products and the way that you've interacted with the ecosystem and where you position yourself? That's a great question. So you're absolutely right. Plaid in the US, they're like the open banking pioneer when it comes to the space. And they basically built that model before I think the term open banking was already was around. Now we are fortunate to have William, one of the co-founders of Plaid, actually also as an investor in IU Connect. So we take a lot of inspiration of what they're doing and what they have done. Having said that, obviously, Southeast Asia is different and emerging countries are also different. So it's really just that we can take inspiration from what they have been doing in a different part of the world. And we need to find a very localized model that works for being on the ground over here and the state of the market as it is today from a regulatory perspective, from a uh, adoption perspective, from a consumer perspective, from a tech perspective, and so on. So a lot of localization is needed, and that's where we come in as IU Connect. That's number one. I think the other thing is that we actually are building something a big, like additional layers to the plate model. Plate is really good in a data API. As I mentioned earlier, we do have open banking APIs. We have banking as a service APIs. We have payments APIs as well. So we're trying to build a much more horizontal stack because truly the needs of our clients are going in that direction. Today, if we get approached from a client who's interested in a data API, he also comes with needs around payments, disbursements, receivables. He might want to have a deposit product. He might want to have a card that he can print with his own logo and hand out to his consumers and so on. So it's really a full stack approach that we're trying to do. And the beauty is that the market is still so nascent in this part of the world here that no one else is building all those solutions at once. And that's really where the big opportunity is. Um, so essentially, we take a lot of inspiration from what has been successfully done in other parts of the markets, and we put a very localized version in place. And we're trying to become the one-stop solution, as I mentioned earlier, for anything fintech infrastructure, fintech API related, where we take care of the technology, the product, the licenses around it, the regulatory side of it, and we basically put this into a plug-and-play product that our clients can use, regardless of the use case that they want. So we're happy to say that today we have our clients are anything from the top three largest banks in Indonesia to traditional businesses down to a newly started with five employees. All of them approach us for various solutions that they need. And that's really the aspiration for us to build something and in a way shape the market. So we are also the sort of like sparehead in the development. A lot of the solutions that we're currently building haven't been done yet by, by anyone else. And that's why I'm excited about the roadmap for next year and beyond, because there's a lot of new solutions coming to the ecosystem here that consumers and customer facing can't use as of today yet. Got it. Maybe two part question. I'd love to dive a little bit deeper if in surprise you could share a little bit more about what specifically in the product roadmap is exciting for you. And then maybe the second piece is really around what catalysts are interesting to you sitting as a fintech provider in Indonesia. I think for me, Southeast Asia is always relatively anti-cyclical. Like the economy for GDP, for GDP growth for Indonesia is estimated to grow like 5% in 
this year and next year. And for the most part, it's, a, it's an amazing economy from the macro perspective. And so curious, again, how you think about catalysts over the next few months. Yeah. So especially when it comes to open finance, I think this year was really a breakthrough. I feel we are at the tipping point where two, three years ago, no one really knew what open banking was. That term wasn't around in, in Southeast Asia. All of a sudden, what we've seen this year is that it's becoming a main theme on, on fintech discussions, on, on panel meetups, on market reports. From a regulatory perspective as well, as I mentioned earlier, they picked it up, they put a rule book in place, and all of a sudden it's the talk of the town. So it is like new, it's exciting. And now as we go into 23 and beyond, it is our job to essentially educate the market and the ecosystem further. So I feel right now it's an inflection point where everyone has heard about it from at least from an industry perspective, right? I'm talking about financial institutions, banks, fintechs, startups, and so on. But then what it actually entails, how and how it works, that's where the question marks come right now. So that's where work has to be continued as we go into 23 to actually educate tech developers, product managers, startup founders, and so on. What how does new rails work and what can be done with them? So it's almost like, I look at it like, like it's like a blockchain, right? We're giving the infrastructure and we're putting it out there, but then what you want to build on top of it, that's entirely up to you, right? And, but you need to know that, that infrastructure layer exists in order for you to build it. And a, a very good like analogy to this is like cloud com computing, cloud storage, where if you start a new business today, you're not going to put a server stack anymore into your office. You're using cloud storage from day one and you use APIs and ready to go infrastructure there. And that's how I envision open finance to become, where you need to know what exists. So when you start out, you already know where you can build on top, where you can plug in and the use cases that are there that then help you find a unique idea and build a unique business around it. Got it. I'd love to actually dive into the use cases and kind of the educational of founders bit. I think my view has always been, and maybe slightly controversial, but I've always seen embedded finance, open finance in the West and developed markets as more strategic, right? Like they're doing that to increase user retention, to collect more data, again, for retention purposes. Whereas open finance, embedded finance in developing markets is really for monetization, right? Like you, it's a relatively thin market. You can't charge a lot but you can monetize on all these other things and payment compression, payment take rate compression matters slightly less in, in more emerging markets. So curious essentially what you see the value for founders have been, like how have they viewed it? Like what use cases should be talked more? Yeah, so I agree with you. I think the short-term thinking of embedded finance is monetization. Not only, we also do see clients approaching us for stickiness, recurring use cases, con consumer data and so on. But you're right, very short-term driven objectives. Now, what keeps me excited about open finance is actually the broader narrative of how that really makes an impact down the line on the consumer side of things, reaching essentially new consumers that are unbanked today or underbanked. That's a bit more of a midterm or long-term thinking. But I think that's ultimately where it will go. And that's really where it is even more exciting for me than open finance in developed countries. I'll give you an example on, on, on specific use cases. So for instance, we're building a product right now around card issuance. It's something that doesn't exist in Indonesia today. It's something that is very common in developed countries. Think about Robinhood has their own debit card that users can go, the likes of crypto.com, Binance, they have 
debit cards. Uh, almost every broker gives gives a debit card. There are neo banks with the likes of Revolut and so on that hand out cards. So the, the use case is basically very uh, common. It doesn't exist in Indonesia yet. So only banks are currently able to issue physical debit cards. We're changing this. We're building an API and a stack around enabling every fintech to basically give their consumers their own debit card with their logo on on, on this. And certainly there's a monetization effect to it, but in the broader sense, it really enables you to come up with a complete new value proposition to your consumers and also reach customers that you weren't able to get into the bank ecosystem in the first place. Acritech, for instance. Imagine you're putting physical card together with Acritech. Acritech companies are very good today in Indonesia in targeting a certain customer segment, typically very rural, very low income, that hasn't been really cracked by the formal sector formal historically. And the reason why they're able to onboard farmers and fishermen and so on as new customers is because they have a very tailored value proposition to, to the needs when it comes to managing your cash flows, selling, procuring goods, understanding your financial situation. It's basically coming through the deck back door and then putting financial use cases on top really is for me the way forward to put debit card into the hands of a farmer for the first time. He had decades to go to an institutional bank and walk into any branch a day and do it. Yet they haven't done it because it's not what they need. It's not what moves the needle forward in their day-to-day -day life. But if they're working with a player that really targets their needs and basically that player offers them an embedded use case like a physical card, that for him might flip the switch to actually go ahead and do it. And that's just one product then that we're building on, on, on the banking stack. Deposits is another one. It's very hard today for financial platforms, for fintechs to take user deposits. You typically had to have an e-money license before that was restricted to only around 150 US dollars in deposits without eKYC and so on. So we're launching in partnership with some banks in Indonesia, a deposit API, which now basically changes this. Those are just two use cases to give you an example, but there's more happening in our pipeline. And I think this is how collectively you actually get more people into the bank ecosystem, re reduce the, the debt gap that exists in the market, reduce the pricing of financial products like loans, insurances, and so on. And that's still, there's still a long road ahead of us from here on. But I think financial infrastructure is the key to get there in the midterm. Gotcha. I think that that's super interesting. And maybe actually on that note, I think what's fascinating to me personally is you've obviously had a long experience building this space, but my understanding is like the founding team's actually not from Indonesia and has been building here for a really long time. And a ton of founders who just graduated from Stanford and want to go into the emerging markets and build something cool. Do you have any pieces of advice for folks who are looking to crack the Indonesian emerging market as an outsider? Do you have any advice for anyone who's trying to do something similar around like enterprise sales cycles for highly regulated industries in places like Indonesia? Love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. So basically being non-Indonesian has its advantages and disadvantages. I think obviously an advantage is that you have different markets as a consumer yourself. You have seen how things can be done differently, maybe more advanced ecosystems. So when you come to Indonesia, you're facing a situation where you have to ask yourself, why doesn't it exist yet? Or why has no one built it yet? So there's a lot of ideas, a lot of inspiration when you come over here. And I had the privilege to, to work in another business in a fast 
paced environment, scaling things, having a lot of freedom. So I got to know the market and the culture and the ecosystem, which then helped basically starting and building IO Connect. Having said that, my co-founder is actually Indonesian. Shirak, we're very lucky to have someone who is also Indonesian local. And that was always one of the criteria for me to start a business as well. So I think it's the combination. It's basically having a very complementary founding team that is, is one of the key drivers for success. Got it. Okay. Any advice about navigating regulated environments like this? Like how do you approach it, right? Is this something that you, like Shirag takes point on? Like how do you structure that? Yeah. So we are very fortunate that we hold one license from the Central Bank Indonesia. Um, it's basically the highest non-bank license that you can obtain in Indonesia. And it's collectively three individual licenses combined, which is uh, an e-money license, it's a payment gateway license, and it's a remittance license. Having said that, it took us a long time to get it. So I think the number of, the one, one advice is just patience. Things don't move as fast as you would like to hope. As you said earlier, we've been around for seven years and uh, we applied very early on in our process for some of the key licenses required to operate in, the, in this market. Um, uh, so let's take time. So I think the second advice is persistence. As our, with every startup journey, you have good days, you have bad days, you have, you go three steps forward, you go one step back. You just have to live with that very volatile environment and also with potential setbacks that can happen along the way. I think ultimately it is important to reach out to the regulatory bodies, tell them what you're about, tell them who you are, tell them your vision. And also in our case, we realized that central bank needs players like us essentially to execute on their roadmap. So they can put a great framework in place. But they need someone to actually write a couple of lines of code and implement what they want to do. And basically being an agnostic player that can act as a platform between financial institutions, banks of different sizes, of different ownership structures, with different roadmaps, and I think helps the ecosystem and then ultimately also helps the consumer in the end of the day, getting easier and cheaper access to financial products. That's what it's about, right? On top of that, you need to do your homework, right? Getting regulated is never easy. And it puts us into a very like, set of what we can do and what we can do. This ultimately helped us as a business. I do look at having a category one bank from a central bank is almost putting us into the category of being like a mini bank. There's just so many layers of compliance, legal, risk, mitigation processes and systems that we need to have in place that we're getting uh, repeatedly uh, audited upon, but it has ultimately helped us to get our act together, to raise the bar, to build a better system and overall company. Very grateful about the process, but yeah, it does take a bit of time and persistence to get there. Got you. Okay. Now that, that's only very helpful to level set expectations about regulated market. And I think the main takeaway I got from that is really deep understanding of what the regulators are trying to achieve and making sure that you really align and communicate alongside that. That's excellent. Maybe last question for the audience. Is there any other pieces of advice you might give for anyone who's trying to build in Southeast Asia, especially first time trying to understand the space? Like, How would you approach it? Yeah, do talk to as many founders as possible. Do reach out to me if you feel like I can help and support it is still a very 
early and small ecosystem. It's a very connected ecosystem. A lot of founders know each other one way or another. But I also like the fact that it's a very inclusive ecosystem. It's an ecosystem where founders and companies try to support each other. We're all here to make the market bigger together and we need each other as well. And this is where, comparatively to other parts of the world, I feel this is a very inclusive ecosystem. You very quickly make connections. There's a lot of events. I'm generally very supportive. So do reach out, network, talk to as many people as possible, talk to VCs. I'm just here to help. I think everyone has in that big vision of making the Southeast Asia digital ecosystem at 100x of where it is today. We need to see 100 plus unicorns in the market and we can only do it together. So as you said earlier, very exciting from a macro perspective, young demographic, ecosystem is growing. Indonesia is growing, a lot of good updates on, on the policy side of things and so on. But then we need builders to execute. And yeah, that's why it's a good, a great place to start a business, but make sure you do your homework. Got it. Thank you so much for those words, Jacob. It was amazing having you. Thank you so much uh, for being here today. Excellent. Really enjoyed it. All the best. Bye. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.